from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Play action fake, Brady rolling, throwing toward the end of the con ball, touchdown, Kadon. Here's the snap, Brady dropping, looking, Brady throws, it's caught, touchdown, Tampa Bay, Rashad White, fire the cannon. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, big day news as we're uh, still waiting on what's going on with Aaron Judge. I know we have a lot of Yankee fans in Las Vegas who are going to be really upset when Judge goes to uh, San Francisco. UNLV, after a really quiet search, which I enjoyed, I, I think good administration, you don't find out about leaks and there's not 19 people on the rumor mill. UNLV announces that Barry Odom is their guy. I saw it. I was like, okay, you know, coaching the SEC. I want to know more about why he didn't achieve at a much higher level at Missouri. It wasn't a disaster. 25 and 25, 13 and 19 in the SEC. Uh, very well respected as a D.C. at Arkansas. And when we need sources on news from the Midwest, we go to our buddy in Kansas City who does one of the best radio shows in the Midwest, in the country. Petro from WHB is up with Cofield and John Von Tobel. Saran, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Boots on the ground. That's what I, yes, I consider myself. Yes, you yes. Know, boots on the ground. You know, you talk to a lot of people. Can can you send a message out there to you sons of bitches who do radio and report around the country? Las Vegas is not Siberia. So check in with us every once in a while. There is so much misinformation about this city when it comes to sports. Come on. Chat with some people here. But we know what we're doing, so we have Petro on here. Um, all right, first – your reaction, uh, before even UNLV, the, the UNLV part of it, Barry Odom just getting another shot as a head coach. Well, I mean, I think when you you know look at what's gone on since he left, right, Eli Drinkwitz was hired. Eli Drinkwitz had one year of head coaching experience at Appalachian State. He took over a successful program and was successful. He went 12-1 and at Appalachian State. But he had that one year of experience under his belt that Barry Odom didn't have. So Barry Odom, you know, was elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach at Missouri, and I think that's always a tough spot. I, I, don't, I don't like that. I think – Teams do it because, uh, or athletic directors do it because they're terrified of losing players, and so they've got a popular assistant coach, and all the players say they'll stay, and they usually do stay, and they're excited, and everybody jumps up and down, and there's a video that goes viral amongst the fans because all the players were excited. You saw the same thing with Freeman at Notre Dame last year, but in reality, I don't know that it's always the best situation. You know, Barry Odom was a Mizzou guy. Um, and, and, you know, so that seemed like a great story. Hey, if he's good, he's never going to leave because he played at Missouri. And so I think there's that reason to hire him, but I, I don't think it was really the smart hire. And I, you know, he, he can't not take the job, but Missouri really should have looked someplace else. It was a tougher job for him to take than people realize. And I think all you need to do to my point about talking about Eli Drinkwitz right now is Eli Drinkwitz has basically the exact same record that Barry Odom had. Uh, and, and it got him fired. Eli Drinkwitz has never been above 500 in three years. Uh, He's 11 and 15 overall in the league, and Barry Odom got fired for during his tenure, uh, posting like almost identical numbers. I mean, uh, he was 25 and 25 at Missouri, 13 and 19 in the league, and Eli Drinkwitz got a six million dollar a year extension. So I think Barry Odom did a better job than probably Missouri people realized. Um, It's a different climate. I mean, Gary Pinkle guided them into the SEC, but it's one thing to you know kind of have all your roots and a lot of your players locked and loaded as you come over from Big 12 country and you compete for a couple 
couple of years. Uh, he took over a team that had fallen below 500. Uh, he was four and eight the first year, and then got him back up to a eight and five record a couple of years later. Six and six wasn't good enough. Missouri fired him. I, I I don't know that he deserved to be fired, but I don't know that he was the right hire in the first place. So I think this is a good opportunity for him to to really establish his own program his own identity in an area that there, there's not all kinds of already preconceived notions and, and frankly, uh, preconceived relationships going on all around him. So this is a fascinating story for us. You know, on the surface, UNLV has a new coach. They blew out a guy who was three years in, seemed to be doing okay. They get rid of him. The new AD clearly wanted someone uh, of his own. But we've also got the UNLV-Missouri tie because of Desiree Reed-Francois. You said something in there, and we don't have to go long on this, but real quick, so Drinkwitz hasn't achieved to what uh, they thought he would achieve. You've got a new AD there, but he got an extension. She gave him an extension? Yeah, I, I, yeah, they, yeah oh, God, he, he got an extension of which he's going to get at least $22 million. I think 90% of it's guaranteed for five years. Um, like I said, it's going to average $6 million a year. Um, so he's, he's coming away. I think it's 20, maybe it's $24 million wow. that he's going to end up with no matter what. Like, the buyouts are, are ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, they basically married themselves to Eli Drinkwitz for three more years, and his record is no better than what Barry Odom's was. And, and, I, and again, he inherited a program that theoretically was probably in a little bit better shape than than what Barry Odom got and and he is he has not risen now he did have to, in his first year, guide the team through a COVID year and then a second year where COVID's influencing it. So those are all factors that everyone's dealing with. He's dealing with the NIL. He's dealing with, uh, you know, an un, uh, you know, an un, uh, totally uncapped transfer portal. You know, anybody can go anytime they want. So, you know, it's not apples to apples, but, but there are, there are, you know, the expectations are the same. Missouri's Missouri. And the, the wins and losses have been about the same. I, the, the extension was given largely because the recruiting has been up a tick or two. The names have been better. Although the quarterback position hasn't been better, uh, although Barry Odom inherited Drew Locke, who uh, was at the uh, it was at the heart of that eight and five season. Uh, he also had um, Josh Heupel as a, as an offensive coordinator, um, you know, uh, there, and so uh, you know that helped him out. You know that that's going to be something that's going to be important for him is to make a good hire. Now, now of course, he can identify talent because Heupel's done a pretty good job at Tennessee, but you know, I, I think the extension was given because that's the cost of doing business and what. Everybody said quietly, no one said publicly. Publicly, they say it's going in the right direction, but quietly behind the scenes, hey, this is the cost of, of doing business in the SEC, and for recruiting, your, your coach can't be coming down to the last three years. Three years of his deal is what he had left, and so that's why they gave him the extension. Listen, that's a whole subject, like you said. We can go on for a long time and debate whether or not that should have been done, but it was given, and you know, I, I think uh, Desiree Reed-Francois decided that she didn't want to go coach hunting uh, and so that this was better. And, and again, there's some really good recruits in there. He's done a nice job in St. Louis. Um, but, you know, his number one receiver just declared, who's a sophomore, and he recruited, uh, just declared for the transfer portal uh, yesterday. So it's not like everybody who's there is staying there. So it's, it's interesting times in Columbia, Missouri. It's not an easy job. And I think anybody who's looking at Barry Odom's record in Las Vegas should understand that, you know, that, that's, that's not, it's not Vanderbilt. But it's closer to Vanderbilt than it is certainly Florida or Georgia. When it comes to Odom, what's your view on him as a talent evaluator of players and player development? You know, questionable, um, to be determined. 
You know, I, I think, you know, again, being a first-year head coach, I think he made a number of first-year mistakes. There's a lot of things that, you know, I think he'll do better this time, having been around it. Um, you know, defensively, his players, you know, they played well. They, they played SEC-style defense. He tended to recruit to that side of the ball. The offense got handled by somebody else. So I think it's going to be really important who he hires as an offensive coordinator. He tends to be a hands-on guy on the defensive side. He ended up firing his defensive coordinator, taking over uh, control of the play calls. So he's going to have to learn to either, you know, and ideally he would find someone to make those play calls. And I, I think there's enough to, to being a college head coach to, to the CEO part of the job yep. uh, without ha- trying to call your own place. So many young ones want to call the plays because some of the great ones have. I think it'd be interesting to see if he doesn't go another direction and, and find somebody that he trusts that can call those plays. But I think he tried to do way too much. Every time he fired somebody, he took on those jobs. I think at one point, and again, don't hold me to this, he was the head coach, uh, defensive play caller, and like linebackers coach. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah. and I think those are things he will have learned from. Yes, I think that that's really big, and I would hope that Eric Harper, the AD here, who has a football background, played at Kansas State, um, just watched Marcus Arroyo try to be the head coach and run the offense. And I just, I don't think when you're a young head coach, it's the best thing to do. Hell, we're we're dealing, we were dealing with it until the last couple of weeks with Josh McDaniels. And he, he's not that young, but, but he, you know, really, this is another chance at head coach, and he wants to run the offense. It's like, guys, you know, maybe maybe if it's not working three years in, you, you try it. But right off the bat, it's hard to be a head coach and run a unit. Uh, look at Mike Vrabel. He doesn't run either yep. side of the football, and he's uh, wins on all the expected ba- – or uh, is it expected value, whatever whatever the, the stat is, where they track it. He gets they, – they induce more penalties on short yardage situations. All the little things in the clock management Mike Vrabel's great at because he doesn't have a play sheet in his face on either side of the ball. And this past week here in Kansas City, although you love the play calls of Andy Reid, we watched him look up. It's fourth and seven. Okay, we're going to punt. And down three, he punted back to a team that he hadn't stopped all day, I think because he has too many things going on, and he should have gone for it on fourth down. And so that's something that I, I think every head coach should consider. There's a lot of game management that needs to go on that deserves your attention that you can't give to uh, when you've got your head uh, buried in a play sheet. So Soren Petro is on with us. And Soren, we're going to set you up here with a kind of an interesting topic that emerged after Marcus Arroyo went bye-bye. But I'm going to say – Soren is very connected in college athletics, so he knows how it works. He knows how it works from the coach to the AD to the boosters to the fans, all that stuff. And relationships matter. But, John, do you want to present this angle that, frankly, I don't even know if we should be talking about, but go ahead and present it because we had a different relationship with the guy. Mm. Is Barry Odom a nice guy? Because one of the things that we heard a lot of after Arroyo got fired, Soren, was, oh, he wasn't very nice. People didn't like him. The powers that be maybe didn't like him. One of the actually most frequently asked questions during Eric Harper, the AD's press conference after Royal got fired, was, was there a disconnect between him and, and the boosters and the powers that be? What is Odom like as a guy? Oh, wow. I know. I know. We had the Missouri expert on earlier, and he basically said, hey, he's not a – Well, he's his friend, know, right? Yeah. yeah, he's like he he was into football. He's not really a banquet guy. And Gabe uh, DeArmond told us he even went to school. He went to school with Barry Odom. So I'm like, uh-huh. all right, this will be interesting. Now, again, I don't care, but I don't work in the UNLV football office. I'm not in administration for UNLV, so – like, I wonder what this is going to be like. 
So it's interesting, and Gabe's a great guy to talk to. I have him on my show, so he gave you great insight, and he's a Mizzou guy through and through. In fact, his dad uh, was a longtime beat writer uh, for Mizzou uh, for the Kansas City Star as well, so his family is, is black and gold as it gets, and he's as wired in as it gets. So he's a great guy to talk to, and if I disagree with anything that he ends up saying, then defer to Gabe because he's closer to it than I am. But I, I would have the same opinion. I mean, he is all football all the time. He's gruff. He's not going to go out of his way in, in interviews. Now, listen, I didn't see him with boosters or things like that. And, you know, he was a Missouri guy, so he probably even got a little bit of a kiss because he was one of their own. So, I, you know, you could, you could maybe even whatever, whatever the grade is, maybe even lower it a little bit when he's dealing with, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll recognize that that was a problem, and he'll, he'll realize he has to win hearts and minds and kiss babies and shake hands around the state of Nevada, certainly around uh, Las Vegas to make it work. But, you know, in interviews, he, he was – uh, distant, um, you know, almost arrogant, you know, like, like some of the questions. He seemed like he was always irritated by having to do the interview or answer the questions. That's something that I think, you know, Bill Self just doesn't come on. But if you get Bill Self on the radio, you, you feel like you got your long-lost uncle that you can't wait to go on vacation with, right? You, you think he loves you, yeah. you know? And, and in reality, he's got three layers of roadblocks that keep him from, you know, ever getting on your airways. But if you get him on... <laughs> And you're going to feel like you got your best yeah. friend on the radio. And, you know, I, I think all coaches could, could take a page out of their book. You know, even, even some successful ones. Andy Reid makes things more difficult for him here in Kansas City than he has to if he would just handle the interview a little bit better. So, you know, my interaction with him was minimal. Um, but when I did talk to him, it was distant. It was cold. It was to the point. Um, he, he does, though, listen, I, I mentioned the video of the players jumping around. When he was announced as the head coach, the players went nuts. And that means he was a popular guy. And you do have to win the hearts of players and the bank accounts now. And maybe it's a little bit different from that standpoint from the recruiting because so much of it is about how much money you can put in their pockets. But I think he is a likable guy amongst players. I think he's an old-school coach. He did play, which I think gives him some swagger, you know, maybe not to the degree that Deion Sanders played, right, that he's getting the kind of swagger he's getting with recruits. But he is a guy that can speak the language that played, that played hard and did all the work and put everything into it. And so I think he does endear himself to families. And, and when I say the recruiting has been an uptick for Eli Drinkwitz, it has, but it was not bad under Barry Odom. I mean, he was, he was not coming in at 70 or 75. He was coming in in the, in the 40s. And, and towards the bottom of the SEC, which Missouri still is. Now, last year they rose all the way to 14 in the country, which put him at 10th in the SEC. Um, but but he still recruited hardworking guys. He still recruited NFL guys, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And he was a recruiting coordinator in the past and was given a lot of credit for a lot of talent that went through Missouri. And they've, they've had a number of defensive players, defensive linemen, Golden, um, uh, uh, Alden Smith, um, you know, uh, Michael Sam was an SEC defensive player of the year. They, they, they recruited a lot of really good talent. Nick Bolton is an outstanding linebacker that came in under Barry Odom's watch. He's a second-round uh, pick, second-year player for the Chiefs. That's probably going to be a pro bowler you know he was recruited by barry odom he knows what talent is he can get it and you know i guess von tobel you mentioned earlier the development side uh you know they, they, these weren't five stars or he had a top 10 class these were three and four star kids that ended up being drafted some of them in first and second round so i, I would say on the defensive side of the ball uh that was there and, and he listen he wanted uh he was part of trying to remember if he would have been Coach, or if he was the coach when they got Drew Locke, who was an Elite 11 quarterback and had everybody around the country uh, vying for him. And, and he was part of, if he, he was at least at the top of Gary Pinkle's staff, if it wasn't him that got him, he, he got that done. So, you know, I, I think there's, 
there's a lot of reason to believe that if he learns from his mistakes, he'll take a significant step forward uh, in this job with UNLV over what he did at Missouri. As long as he looks me in the eye. That's all that matters. <laughs> Is that right? right? Well, he'll look you in the eye. You'll get a firm handshake. It, right. it just may be with a somewhat of a scowl on that, his face. That is a very subtle reference to an interview I did with Arroyo at one point where he didn't look at me <laughs> while he talked to him. He's, uh, he's not an eye contact guy. We'll say yeah. that at times. And that was not subtle. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. I, was, I was watching. But it was the same thing with me. I don't care. I don't look at anyone either. So it's like we're both Fuck. looking off in the distance. Our what last interaction, he slapped me on the uh, yeah. on the back with a clipboard. So yeah. you know what? We're there. Listen, Although it doesn't these, matter anymore. These coach <laughs> relationships with boosters and staffers and the bosses, it's always it's always interesting, Petro. You know? Yeah, but is it is it a popular what, – what is your gauge of what the, what the reaction is to it right now? Um, you know, I, I think social media, you're going to get the strongest reaction from the negative people. So I think there's a lot of people in Vegas – who, before tweeting something about Barry Odom, can't take five minutes to type in his name to Google and look at who he is and what he's done. So their initial reaction is like, what? Like, do a little research just because you didn't know who he was. I'll also, I'll roll you in on this. Here's what happened with the search. UNLV was completely buttoned up, right? That's the way Desiree Reeve Francois operated. We got two coaches hired here at the biggest programs in Marcus Arroyo and Otzelberger. Well, by the way, Otzelberger turned out to be a pretty good hire. He just didn't stack. Um, but we heard nothing about it because UNLV previously had been a disaster with leaks to the point where it was embarrassing and it made it look like, hey, they hired their ninth choice in a lot of these searches. This time, Eric Harper did the same thing. He's the AD, and he just did nothing, nothing. So then social media got its hands on it, and some local media people were like, hey, we got to put out a list, so let's just throw names out. And almost none of the names were talked to. So you you like you, you've done this for a long time. Fans get a perception that they just whiffed on their top nine choices, and it was like none of those people actually spoke to UNLV. They were never candidates. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's you know, listen, you have uh, you know assignments from your editors that say you got to write a story, you got to write a story about something. So you go and you create your own list. And, you know, I, I think that's – and that's the problem is because that influences people. Well, I saw this list and this name didn't come from it. Who the hell is this guy? When in reality, you know, that list may have been completely out in left field. Barry Odom is a guy that, you know, had a competent first stop at a job that, like I said, I don't think he was the best choice. I, I don't think keeping a guy in-house, uh, particularly a guy with no experience uh, as a head coach in-house, is, is, a good, is a good idea. And I don't think getting your first head coaching job at an SEC school Right. is ever a good idea. Why the SEC would go that route, any SEC school, is is beyond me. And so I think he had a number of things lined up against him, and I think at the end of the day he didn't do that badly, and who's to say he wouldn't be doing better than Missouri's doing right now. And and by the way, he, he went down to Arkansas and, and got more experience with Sam Pittman, uh, who was 9-4 and four two years ago, and you know, really turned Arkansas in the right direction. So, I mean, uh, and, and was 9-4 and four with Barry Odom as the defensive coordinator, and, and a lot of credit was given towards Barry Odom for making that defense better. So, you know, I, I listen. I, I think the guy deserves a second chance. Would I tell you that there's no way this fails? No, I wouldn't. And you know, is he going to have to find some people that know the West Coast? Yes, he's going to have to do that. Is he going to have to find an offensive coordinator? Yes, he's going to have to do that. Is he going to have to find somebody who knows the quarterback position? Yes, and that's one of the reasons why I would almost never hire a defensive head coach because it's easier to do in college than it is in the pros because you're going to have to turn your quarterback over every one to four years anyway. But uh, you know, having somebody that can reach the quarterback. What's been impressive from Lance Leipold uh, at Kansas is how he took somebody else's quarterback 
Dan found one himself and made both of them good. One, one that you know Les Miles had given up on, uh, you know, and, and he, he turned into you know a guy that they were talking about winning a Heisman the first three or four weeks, and then kept another kid behind him, get convinced him not to transfer, and had him play almost as well after he went down. And so I think the offense is the more important side. It's going to be very important that he gets good offensive coaches around him. Saran, we appreciate the spot on short notice. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Always my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. WHB covers the Big 12, covers the SEC. It's always weird that uh, Missouri's in the SEC. I still don't get it. But uh, but he's been covering that program for a long time, basketball and football, and it's a really fascinating place from a, a sports standpoint because uh, you know UNLV's had its struggles. Mizzou's had some high times in football, but they're always wishing, like, hey, we should be better, Why? especially basketball. Mm-hmm. They're in such a fertile region, and they're just they haven't had – that much success. So uh, more on Barry Odom a little later in the hour. We'll do a little run Rebel Talk coming up and back to the Raiders as well. Busy 5 o'clock hour unfolding. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at BJVT or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Bruins a two-on-one and on the right shot. Glove save! Logan Thompson, best save of the day. Stopping defenseman Charlie McAvoy. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. Out of all the reindeers, you know you're the mastermind. VGK rolling on, clutch win, Bruce Cassidy, nice gift for him, former Bruins coach. John Von Tobel, Steve Cofield, uh, busy, busy times. Got a Raiders game on short notice. It's not short notice, it's a short week, we knew about it. Uh, but Thursday, so we'll get into the Raiders a lot more. Next couple of days. Tomorrow, we will be at the Dollar Loan Center doing the show before the Running Rebels game. Henderson would love to see you show up. Fill that arena. So would UNLV. Wear your red. Wear your Rebel gear. In the morning, it's not official yet, but we're trying to make sure that we have the press conference rolling for UNLV football's new coach, Barry Odom. Press conference at 10 a.m. And... We will uh, hopefully finalize a show down there, a special show, right after the press conference. So check Twitter, at Steve Cofield, at ESPN Las Vegas, and we'll be putting something together. We did that in the past when uh, Arroyo was hired. I can't remember if we did it for Altsburger, probably. But big deal, big for the community. All right, so Colorado is just starting to get into this whole Dion thing. Um, I gave my opinion yesterday. I, I won't give it again until after you mentioned yours. What do you think? Dion to Colorado. Um, I think generally positive. Generally, like, I'm into it. I mean, look, when you have a guy who seems to have, like, some financial backing behind him, we talk about this all the time, if if you can get somebody to get the powers to that be to pump money into you know, whatever you're working on, money fixes a lot of stuff. Now, the approach and how he's handling it with the student-athletes and whatnot, that remains to be seen. But I think generally I kind of like it, and I kind of like the, hey, you know what, like hard-nosed, this is how we're going to do things here. This is how I want to do it. The details of that are a question, but generally I think I kind of like it. I know I'll be watching. I know I'm going to watch a lot more Colorado football next year and the year after that than I have in a really long time. I'll tell you that much. What didn't you like? It's not even that I didn't like it. I'm just more curious on how he's approaching things, right? So, for example, if you hear his press conference the other day or whenever it was when he says, oh, my son's coming over and he's playing quarterback. Okay, but, I mean, what if there's a quarterback on that roster in camp that plays better than him? Mm -hmm. 
Are you really going to be open to a competition? Are you are you going to be so clouded in this is my son, this is a quarterback that you're not going to let the best talent win out at the most important position? Like what if he's not? That's I think something that really interests me. And then you get things like this where he's talking to everybody, you know, all the student athletes, and he tells them essentially like, "Hey man, I got my guys coming. We got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me, and it's Louis." <laughs> Okay. Uh, can I just say, so I don't actually don't mind the essentially telling them, I've got guys coming with me that are playing. Again, the already giving them their starting positions, that's something that is maybe going to work itself out. You know what I don't like that's really subtle about that clip? If you listen at the very end, and maybe we can play it again because it's only eight seconds, the whoever's recording laughing in the background. And no, that's the little thing that bothers me. We got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. We're obviously disappointed. We wanted to see our team have an opportunity to play and get in the playoffs. But, you know, we're going to get an opportunity to play someone, somewhere in a good game. And uh, that's going to be an opportunity for our players to create value for themselves and uh, show what kind of team we really have. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. Busy, busy day. UNLV football search is over. Barry Odom is the head coach, former Missouri coach, D.C. at Arkansas. So he'll be introduced tomorrow. Again, we'll uh, try to run the press conference for you. 10 a.m. he'll be introduced. We'll try to do a uh, quick show around it as well, working on that as we speak. But tomorrow's already a big day because for the first time ever, running Rebels are playing in Henderson. So Henderson folks who uh, want to see a game close to home, DLC, brand new arena, 6,000 seat arena, will house the show Hawaii is in town. Of course, a rival on the football side, different conference on the basketball side, but wanted to get into the basketball game and get a little preview of Hawaii and basketball, talk a little football as well. Uh, Eric Lowe is a Hawaiian, played at Washington State. That's where he played his hoops. He's now the color analyst on radio for Hawaii basketball. How are you, sir? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. So, uh, first of all, this is the first time that Hawaii is coming to the mainland, which I think is always interesting because I don't think, you know, people, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. People don't realize how daunting a task it is. Football is tough. Basketball is really tough to have to do all this traveling. So they're finally coming to the mainland before they have to do it a lot now in 2023. What do you think that's going to be like? Oh, man. Like you said, right? This is their first road game. You know, it's always, uh, you know, a, a question mark to see how they can respond, especially after being home this whole time and getting comfortable. But, you know, being on the road often when I used to play, I mean, road games were always tough. You know, going to another uh, arena with their fans and, and everything, it takes a lot of adjustment. But, you know, um, playing at the Henderson uh, or playing in Henderson at the Dollar you know, Loan Center, it might be a little bit different, especially that Hawaii played their last year at the Big West um, Conference uh, Tournament, right? So. Yeah. So I'm not too sure how it's going to end up. I guess it's kind of going to be a question mark, and, and, and we'll all see. The strengths of this Hawaii team, this Hawaii roster, what are the strengths? 
Oh, man. You know, I really like this Hawaii team. You know, I say it all the time on the radio. I think they're a really well-balanced team. Um, obviously, it's spearheaded by um, Noel Coleman. He's their main scorer, 17 points a game. But he, he kind of initiates everything, you know. He can hit threes. He can actually create off the dribble. So it's really hard to kind of keep him, you know, in check. But um, otherwise, UH really loves to, you know, play a balanced game. They like to put the ball inside. You know, they like to run off-ball action, inside-outside game. But, you know, if UH is hitting from the outside, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be a, a, a team to, you know, that, that can compete with a lot of teams. What is the uh, recruiting approach for this uh, for this staff? Because if you look around this roster, there seems to be a lot of unique guys in terms of their backgrounds and where they're from. You know what? I don't think the staff has much problem recruiting. Hey, do you want to come to Hawaii where it's always <laughs> sunny and beaches and, 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 and everything? So I, I think that's a pretty easy sell. Tell us about their two big guys because uh, combined so far they're averaging about 21 and 14. Yeah, so again, um, Bernardo Da Silva, uh, I'd say he's probably the main guy. You know, he holds it down on the inside. He's just a, he's just a blue-collar worker. You know, he gets, he gets easy baskets where – you know, um, dump-offs, offensive rebounding, but he crashes the boards a lot, and, um, you know, he, ha- he, he runs the floor really well. Uh, he fights hard. And then the other one is Kamaka Hepa. You know, he's a little bit more of an outside threat. He really likes to shoot the, the, the three on pick and pops. Um, and, again, when he's hitting, you know, he can be a hard cover. But, you know, Hawaii has shown – games where they're shooting 50% from the game, and they've shown games where they shoot 32% from the game like last time. So, you know, we'll see which Hawaii comes out to play. How have they made up for the loss of, uh, I think he was going to be their starting point guard, right, in Munoz? Yeah, that was a tough one, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's always hard to see a player go through injury, you know, the way Munoz did. But, you know, he, he, had, his, he, had, he had a knee injury all of last year. You know, he came back. And everyone was excited for him because all we've been hearing is this kid can really shoot from the outside. And the one game that I got to see him play, which was the exhibition game against UH Hilo, I think he hit like, I think he hit like five threes or something like that. I can't remember, but he was on fire. Just the way he handles the ball and attacks ball screens going downhill, his decision making. I thought he was going to be huge for UH at the point guard spot. And unfortunately, that freak accident, man, the, the Achilles, he was just literally backpedaling on defense and then changed to go forward. And then the next, it's all history from there, man. It's crazy. We've got Derek Lowe with us talking Hawaii and UNLV. Runner Rebels playing in Henderson at the Dollar Loan Center. That's going down tomorrow. Grab uh, your tickets ASAP because it's a little bit smaller arena, a lot smaller, actually, than the Thomas and Mac. Um, Derek, before we get back to Hawaii, I wanted to ask about your career, and I know you played some pro basketball, and now you're doing color analysis on the Hawaii broadcast. You were a Pac-12 guy. You played at Washington State. Why did you go to Washington State? <laughs> oh, man. You know, so much people wonder that question probably, but I was a little bit, uh, I think I was uh, mentally different from a lot of people. Um, you know, coming from Hawaii, uh, you know, the thing that was most important to me was the established relationships. So during my recruiting process, you know, when I was talking to Coach Dick Bennett and Coach Tony Bennett, I just, I just felt uh, a real sincerity from them and, and, and a lot of genuineness from them. You know, you can just tell that they were good people, and I just I, I, I believed them in the vision that they were trying to, uh, 
um, achieve, and I wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, I, I thought it was a great decision. And, you know, I mean, everyone says, like, oh, Pullman, there's nothing to do over there. They're the bottom of the Pac-10, <laughs> which at the time, they literally were the doormats. But, you know, it's a tough place, but it's a unique place. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I definitely, you know, loved my time there. What's the biggest thing you learned from the Bennetts? Oh, um, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned from them, you know, uh, probably would be, you know, how, how to build the program, you know, seeing it firsthand, you know, the, and, and maybe you, you guys have heard the story, but, you know, when, when, when they first got hired, I think they said that in order to recruit or in order to rebuild the program, sorry, you have to find kids that know how to lose first hmm. before they win. And I know a lot of programs and coaches and, and ADs probably like, what, what, we're not trying to lose. No, but like you need to find players that know how to handle adversity, that can lose together, but know how to come together and eventually, you know, make, make that step up. You know, so I think I thought that was really cool, and, and that's forever stuck in me. But you know, that's basically how they do things. Uh, you know, with the Bennett. Do they have a chance to be an upper half of the league, Pac-12 school, consistently? And and you know, the reason I mentioned this with Derek Lowe too is Washington State is taking on UNLV in the next game, as Indiana will take on Arizona. UNLV and Wazoo are going at it in the game before that. What do you think of their relatively new coach and what they're trying to build now? Yeah. You know, I'm a really big fan of Coach Kyle Smith. You know, I, just, just knowing him, you know, he does things the right way. You know, he's a basketball mind, and he's just an all-time character guy. Um, but, you know, when you, if you ask me that question, if Washington State can, can be a consistent top of the half of the Pac-10, you know, that's so hard. You know, Pac, uh, Washington State is probably the hardest place to recruit to. You know, I mean, you really have to... You know, be be. You really have to land some 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 recruits that you know have that it factor that might not be five stars, but you know that that, that you're going to get them to play and and represent the team, whichever identity you guys have. And you know, even even that, it might be hard because then you look like you're you got to compete with the UCLA's, the USC's, um, the Oregon's, and Arizona's. That's just too hard, you know. But you know, if anyone can do it. You know, Coach Kyle Smith can with his uh, money ball analytics game that, that, that he likes to play, right? <laughs> Back to this game. So I don't know how much you know about the run of Rebels, but one, they're out to an unbeaten start. But two, most important thing for them has been their defense. But the crazy thing is the Rebels are allowing, I think it's 60.3 points per game. Hawaii's allowing 57 points a game. What do you think is going to happen here in terms of the pace of the game? And, and what's it like for a player going into a game like this where you're like, wow, this could be a dogfight where you know, the winning team barely gets into the 60s? You know, that's a great question. But I actually was doing some, you know, I, I was looking up on UNLV, you know, a little bit and, and, and how they play. And that was the first thing that I noticed, you know, your guys' ability to play defense, uh, the, the amount of turnovers you guys cause other teams. And, you know, to tell you the truth, you know, Hawaii – struggles with teams that that are able to do that so i think what would it what what it will come down to is which team can control the tempo and the pace you know which team can can get the other team out of what they're trying to do and you, you look at hawaii and their uh their two losses uh yale and this last game against was it texas state i believe um 
those two teams were able to control the tempo for majority of the game. They got UH out of um, in influx, and it just became a dirty, uh, gritty type of dogfight game. And you know, those those are ones where you shoot a low percentage, and it's just it's just one of those ugly games. But you know, so far UH hasn't been able to find out how to win in that situation yet. But like you said, it's going to be interesting to see. But I believe it's going to be who controls the tempo. Derek, I know you're not getting a chance to come into uh, Vegas for this one. Are you a Vegas guy in general? Do you have a connect to the market? We know about the whole Ninth Island thing and the trophy that both schools play for. Are you a Vegas guy at all? Oh no, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm. I actually come up to Vegas for the Big West tournament, but okay. other than that, you know, not 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 too much, and I don't have the connect. <laughs> all right, Derek, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for filling us in on the uh, Hawaii side, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Uh, thank you for having me. Take care, guys. There he is, Color Voice on radio for Hawaii basketball. Hawaii in town at the DLC. Grab your tickets now. Six and a half is the spread on this one. 130 is the total. I will say if I'm on the Hawaii side, I'd be a little worried that maybe I don't have enough guards right. because they play a lot through their bigs. I just mentioned they've got a good... 6'10 and 6'8 player at their big spots. They average 21 and 14. And I think a lot of these games for UNLV have come down to, and you and I talk about this all the time, going way back, right? About modern day basketball and who's going to dictate what lineup is on the floor. And UNLV consistently has turned big teams into small teams because they play such good defense. The other coach is like, we can't get the ball running on offense because of the active hands kind of a light, you know, full court pressure. So it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, Hawaii reacts here when they're out there. And if the Rebels, you know, if the Rebels are focused and playing the kind of defense they played, what is Hawaii going to do bringing the ball up and actually getting into their offense? Getting into their offense. And he mentioned like a lot of off ball stuff, half court oriented stuff. Rebels switch a whole bunch. Won't really bother them a ton, especially off ball. They can switch and communicate, do that really well. And the other thing is, I thought he hit tempo was really hard, too. This is the matchup of the, I think UNLV's 55th in tempo so far this year. According to Ken Palm, Hawaii 321st. Yeah, and that's and that's the difference here. Hawaii allows 57 points per game, but they play slow, yeah. and they don't score a lot. I think the the last game for the Rebels was an outlier. That What well, they finish up? 12 of 25 from three. Yeah. It was insane. They are averaging 79 points a game, though, on the season. They're winning their games by 19 Per game, so they're still they're going to try to speed things up on offense, but defensively, I'm I'm really I'm fascinated to see. Uh, one, it's college student athletes. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be focused offensively on both sides? And I'm talking about focus for UNLV. You know, hey, every game you win, and every time, hey, it's the first you know this record since whenever. You know, there's going to be a game where, hey, maybe they have a bad ten minutes, and that that could cost them. Uh, the other thing is, how do both teams react to? playing in that gym. Hawaii's played there. I was there yesterday when UNLV uh, did their run-through, uh, did their practice. They got about a 50-minute practice, and it is, it's a, you know, it's an entire, entirely different building. And I know people out there might think that doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference. Of course it makes a difference. Yes. Shooting perception is different. Um, I'm not saying I'm a college athlete, but I made sure to walk out on the floor, and I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. I actually think, I think both sides are exactly the same, but when I walked on the court and I looked – the I don't even know what end it would be in Henderson. I guess it would be the 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 end that faces south looked like a different background than the the end that faces kind of north. So it's a little hardcore, but we'll no, be it, tracking that. It's funny on the broadcast. John Sandler always laughs at Curtis Terry and I because we try to predict what kind of shooting gym it is. 
Um, and, you know, we were we were trying to figure out what was going to happen at a SoCal Challenge because there were two different shooting backgrounds. So we'll see what basketball is like for the Rebels at the uh, DLC. Well, and speaking of shooting backgrounds, I mean, we saw one of the more unique ones when they were out in California. There was a giant video screen behind one of the that baskets. Was it, huh? it was a really weird shooting background to see a del- like a half-second delay of the feed of the game that you were playing and shooting into it. Join Cofield and company on Thursdays for the live 2 to 5 show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77 cent beers. It's Thursday night football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Let's do a giveaway. Uh, Knights off a great effort last night are back in town for some home games. Rangers tomorrow. Flyers on Friday. We got the Flyers tickets. 364 364-1100. You can win Golden Knights against the Flyers. We'll do uh, caller 44. So be patient. Ari's going to answer the phones here. He'll get to you, but this is a good one. Caller 44, 364-1100, 364-1100. Let's get in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Anything interesting on the Mountain West Conference scoreboard tonight? A bunch of games that will start in 10 minutes, and Air Force getting a win over, was it South Dakota? Uh, Wyoming takes on Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Long one. They're 11 and a half point favorites. The only reason I say it's interesting is because Wyoming has been really struggling lately. Maldonado's back. He got busted in the back of his head by his own teammate. I think he fell down and got a knee to the head. Had staples in his uh, his dome. Uh, He had 10 last time out, but they lost. Graham Ike, their big man, has been out for a while. And keep in mind, Maldonado and EK were both preseason All-Mountain West Conference first team. Arguably two of the five best players in the conference, and they've both missed time, but especially EK. So keep an eye on that one. That's going to start up in five minutes. Uh, Boise is starting to kind of find themselves. They're 6-2. and two. They're playing, uh, again, a, a nobody in uh, eastern Oregon. You know, we don't even have time to get into what's going on in New Mexico. We'll get, we'll have to get into it one of the the next couple of days when we have one of our legal insiders on. It is crazy uh, that shooting and murder that went down in Albuquerque involving a New Mexico State basketball player. We're talking New Mexico here, but that happened because those teams were supposed to play a couple of weeks back. And uh, yeah, Bakersfield has taken on San Jose. San Jose off to a decent start, and they've got a a high impact transfer in from Temple. Um, they're minus eight in that one. Air Force won, so they're six and four. They beat South Dakota. Most you're skipping the most interesting game, Nevada Pepperdine. You're right because uh, Nevada got out to a great start on the season. They're actually still really highly ranked in the net rankings and in Ken Palm, but they lost to Loyola Marymount the other day, sixty four fifty two, as a two and a half point favorite. And now they take on Pepperdine. What's the number on this one you have in front of you? Uh, I just closed my phone, but I, well, the reason Pepperdine to, is a two-and-a-half-point yeah. favorite. And I wanted to point this out for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, just because it's a it's going to be a tightly contested matchup due to the spread. The other, uh, Maxwell Lewis, I believe a Las Vegas kid, who's playing pretty well uh, for the Pepperdine Waves, but last time out, 30 points, I think we saw him last, so we'll see if uh, he can keep that up. But there's some interesting young talent on Pepperdine, a bunch of sophomores that they're kind of building with. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Did you see the craziest fight recently in uh, college basketball? Actually, on the women's side. No. I don't know if you watch these videos, but GW 
got into it with TCU, and it just happened to be a case where there was a like a rebound attempted. One of the ladies had a long ponytail. It got kind of curled up with the ball, and a TCU player's, I think I have this right. I might have the, the sides opposite, but anyway, the ponytail got tied up in someone's hand, and then as they were separating, eh, the one player did kind of yank the ponytail. You don't want to do that. And then lots of hands got thrown. You don't yeah. see a lot of fights in women's basketball. No, you don't. I also see a lot of videos of women's fights. Man, there's a lot of hair, like, because that's just something where you just grab it and you just start. I Like, you don't do it, but you what? see it a lot of women's You're talking about, like, like hair yanking and world star hip hop or yeah, something, right? Yeah. Now, you're not talking about MMA. No, no, of course not. not. Actually no. How to do like, that. professional fighters. No, like street fights. Yeah, you see a lot of hair and just. All right. That's how I would do it. One more time in the back. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, what are we seeing here from the Lakers? Playing pretty good basketball, but right now down, uh, what, two in the third to Cleveland. Down two, and apparently Anthony Davis has a flu and is not going to play for the rest of the game. So we'll see how that bothers them at all. But they're playing pretty competitively without him. He got knocked out early, like the end of the first. So tomorrow, tune into Press Box. They'll have uh, lots of coverage of the new UNLV football coach as Barry Odom is hired, former Missouri coach and a uh, defensive coordinator at Arkansas. And then we'll, uh, we're working on it. We're going to try to run the press conference and have another – live quick show to react and get all the uh, important guests on tomorrow. That'll be uh, hopefully between 10 and 11.